So we pray that your Holy Spirit would guide this conversation, that we would see clearly uh, your intention for the world in the first angel's message as we close that out today. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're going to be addressing uh, this morning the phrase, Worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. You can turn there if you like, Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. And beginning in verse 6 is the first angel's message, but we're going to go to verse 7. Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. Then it closes by saying, And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Now, that statement at the very end there, worship him who, and then made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water, is actually a quote from the Sabbath commandment. It's a direct quote from the Sabbath commandment, and which implies that the first angel's message is a call. Thank you so much for that. The first angel's message is a call to the world to worship God in a particular way on a particular day. Okay, so this is not just a call to general worship because God is worthy of worship, though that is true. This is a very specific call pointing people to the Sabbath commandment. So you realize like it, it has made me greater appreciate the beauty of the Adventist message for one, but the beauty of the calling of the Advent movement. Right, The fact that we're not just awakening the world to the fact of the beauty of the everlasting gospel and the suffering Messiah, but we're also called to teach a proper perspective of our relation to God and what fear of God looks like, Right, the God, the, the, uh, what godly fear looks like, how to live in the midst of a judgment that we believe is happening right now, and how to worship. It's very instructional. Have you noticed that? Like the, the first angel's message in and of itself is a very logical message, is a very Christ-centered message, but it's preparing the world for the crisis that's to come. And so whenever, I didn't mention this in our introduction, but whenever you see in the book of Revelation that there are quotations from the Old Testament or allusions to other themes in Scripture, you need to stop and read those passages and build on those themes because it finds even greater meaning than just what the text says in and of itself. Right? We mentioned this the other day that uh, one of the statements that Stephen Grabner makes when he's teaching on Revelation is that Revelation means what it means. It doesn't necessarily mean what it says. And so there are allusions in Revelation to help us understand what it means. And I think that we're seeing over the course of our time together, there's so much more there than just a cursory reading of two verses, right, in Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7, okay? So we're called to worship him on his holy Sabbath and to rest in Christ's accomplished work, okay? So even the message of Christ our righteousness is found in the first angel's message. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the why, behind the Sabbath, okay? Not just when it is. And this is kind of the unfortunate thing. Now, I don't do this whenever I do an evangelistic series, but many times in our public meetings, when we communicate the Sabbath, we're more focused upon when the Sabbath isn't, right? Or what the Sabbath isn't. It's not the first day of the week, right? It's not in the, the you know, a memorial of the resurrection of Jesus. Um, that's not what it was intended to be. It, pre, it you know, preceded the resurrection of Jesus, and when we do our public meetings 
in this kind of negation format that the second coming is not a secret rapture, that hell is not happening right now, that people are not in heaven currently, that people sleep the sleep of death, and so forth. We had this very polemic approach to our message in our public meetings, which is unfortunate. This, idea, this kind of this argumentative discourse. You should actually do a, it's an interesting exercise. Look up the phrase argumentative discourse in the spirit of prophecy. She was not a fan of that model. The model that she did endorse and resoundingly was the model of W.W. Prescott. If you want to look this up, you can Google this. Google W.W. Prescott Armadale Sermons, A-R-M-A-D-A-L-E. It was the camp meeting in Australia. When you read the introduction to that book, it will inspire you how strongly she endorses this model and how highly she endorses this approach to evangelism. And she said that this is the way that we should do our meetings from now on. The statements that were made about what Prescott did was that not one of these messages felt like a quote-unquote doctrinal discourse. But Christ was uplifted in every message. No one really wanted to come to the meetings. Since our camp meetings back in the day were more evangelistic in nature, they weren't so esoteric. It's a bunch of Adventists hanging out with each other, eating veggie meat, and talking about how awesome Adventism is. Like It was actually something that was outward-facing. And the community members already were kind of hesitant about Adventists. They weren't sure what we believed about the nature of Jesus. And they were just sure of the fact that all they were going to hear from Adventists was, quote-unquote, Moses and Sinai. They thought we were going to be a bunch of legalists, just preaching the law, the law, the law, and they'll never see Jesus. So they didn't want to come, but Ellen White's assistant was transcribing Prescott's messages as he preached them. And then they would publish those immediately and distribute those tracts amongst the community. And people in the community were just like, whoa, 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 maybe these people aren't who we thought they were. And they start coming to the meetings. And she says that people's faces would go pale when they came on the property, when they heard Prescott preaching. And they said, this man is inspired. Ministers would even come from other denominations. They came onto the campsite and they said, we have never heard someone preach Jesus like this. That's what Prescott was doing during the Armadale messages. He, Prescott was an, was an opponent of the 1888 message that Jones and Wagner and Elliot were preaching initially. And then he realized that he was wrong. He was fighting against the Holy Spirit. And he eventually confessed. He was the president of Battle Creek College, what we have as Andrews University today. He confessed before the entire student body and his faculty in tears that he had been fighting against God. And then became one of the champions of that most precious message uh, that Ella White endorsed so resoundingly. And so Prescott took that approach in Australia. And that's the way that we should be doing our public meetings. People should be seeing Jesus in every single topic. Everything that we're preaching, they should be seeing Jesus. And so we should not be preaching in our evangelistic series what the Sabbath isn't. We do need to clarify what the Sabbath is, obviously. We need to communicate that there was a change in all of that. But my point is, when we have this negation format, it really, really sets us up to not find the gospel in our teachings. Are you understanding? If all we're doing is arguing with an evangelical minister in our Bible studies who isn't even studying with us, or we're arguing with an evangelical minister who's not even at our public meetings, why are we doing this? Right? We've developed this culture of arguing with people who aren't even in the room. And we make assumptions. And so it's best to just preach the truth as it is in Jesus. And L.I. made this statement 
or she was given a vision where she, people were kind of rushing into the temple of God, and she didn't know, should I go, should I not, should I go? And once she does go in, there was this large pillar upholding the temple of God. And she says, tied to that pillar was a lamb all mangled and bleeding. And all seemed to know that it was suffering on their behalf. And what was implied there is that the one main pillar that holds up all of this message is the gospel. And she says that every one of our individual teachings, the state of the dead, the Sabbath, the sanctuary, the investigative judgment, all of them are beautiful and wonderful. But she says they find their power in relation to this theme, the theme of the cross. And so we need to rethink how we're doing evangelism. We need to rethink how we're communicating our message and do it in a way that Ellen White was clear in endorsing, first of all, and that God is clear in endorsing and letting people see Jesus. So anyway, that's a really long introduction I didn't plan on, but as you can tell, I'm a little passionate about that. And so look up the Armadale sermons and see how Prescott approached the meanings and what Ellen White said about his approach to that. And I think you'll, you'll agree with the conclusion that I've come to. Uh, and I'm not the only one. So we're going to look at the why behind the Sabbath. Okay, we, We're not going to talk about Saturday, Sunday. We know that, most of us in this room. If you don't, I'd love to give you a Bible study. Come talk to me. Okay, But I can't do that right now. So let's look at the why behind the Sabbath, because I think you're going to find some gospel gems in here. So it says in Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, throughout creation week, we see a theme. God speaks, and it is so. Okay? But when we get to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, it reads differently. Look at what it says here in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being, or as the King James says, man became a living soul. But notice how it does not read. It does not say God spoke and Adam was. Do you see that? It doesn't say that God said, let there be Adam, and it was so. It doesn't read that way. And so God's means of creating is different. The way in which God creates man, specifically in contrast to the way he creates everything else, implies intimacy, care, and value directed towards the one that he has created. Do you see that? He slowed down. He got involved. He got dirty and messy. He gets on the ground. He forms him from the dust. And then he breathes the breath of life into his nostrils. Can you get any more intimate than that? (laughs) Right? Being right in somebody's face. Now, I'm an introvert, and I've got one of those, like, me zones, right? Once you get past a certain space, I get uncomfortable, okay? I don't mind hugs and those types of things. I'm not that, that bad. But just there are certain times when people, like in talking space, I can only, I'll kind of, you know, back myself up. But in this circumstance, intimacy and care is implied. Do you see that? The very way that God creates man implies the care and love and intimacy, intimacy that he has towards him. And it's in that context, a context of intimacy and value, that the Sabbath is given to man. This is so important. I hope you're tracking with this. So let me get to Mark chapter 2 and verse 27, and I love the New Living Translation for this. It's beautiful. I was was teaching in a summer camp, and someone read that version. I thought, what is that? Because I want it. So it says this, 
Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Don't you love that? That it wasn't like iPad parenting. Here, just look at that. Keep yourself busy. Don't bother me right now. Right? That wasn't what God was doing. This is meant to meet the needs of humanity. That's the purpose of the Sabbath. Not just something for people do to keep themselves occupied and keep from doing something stupid or harmful. So what God had in mind when he created the Sabbath, again, is not something to keep people busy or to control them, but it was something designed to meet their needs. Sigve Tonstad has written an amazing book on the topic of the Sabbath. It's called The Lost Meaning of the Seventh Day. Now, it's a deep theological treatise, but he uses such poetic language that um, even lay people, I think, can, can derive a benefit from it. This is what he says. He says, by the act of hallowing the seventh day, God drives the stake of divine presence into the soil of human time. Very visual, beautiful language here. The idea is God is inserting himself into human time. Okay? By the act of hallowing the seventh day, God drives the stake of divine presence into the soil of human time. So in a very real sense, God is bringing heaven to earth on the Sabbath. And it reminds me of John chapter 17 and verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Right? Eternal life is having a living and breathing relationship with Jesus. It's not something that begins when you see him face to face on the sea of glass. Right? So we don't have to wait until heaven to begin to enjoy the benefits of eternal life. Isn't that a blessing? Because eternal life is knowing God personally and intimately in Jesus Christ whom he has sent, and that begins here. And we take that experience with us there. Okay, so eternal life begins even in the here and now. Now, immortality, obviously, we're living in fallen, broken flesh, but the joys of eternal life actually begin in the here and now. We carry that experience into heaven. So again, by the act of hallowing the seventh day, God drives the stake of divine presence into the soil of human time. He's inserting himself into human time. He's making himself available in the space of human time. Tonstad continues. The reason why he refrains from further activity on the seventh day is that he's found the object of his love and has no need for any further works. Who's that? That's you. Doesn't that sweep you off your feet? Doesn't that make you feel special? It should, right? God has found what he was looking for when he made us, and he had no further needs for further works. So how does it make you feel about God? And you can talk in church. It's okay. It's not a sin. How does it make you feel about God when you hear that? He's a loving God. God. I love that. Anyone else? He enjoys loving. He doesn't just love you out of principle. Isn't that important? Right? Some of us, like, God loves me because he has to. Like, no, 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 no. God is choosing to love me. Yeah? Anyone else? <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, a, it's enrapturing, isn't it? That's how God feels about you. So the seventh day signifies what is most essential to know about God. Now, that's a strong statement, isn't it? 
But he says the seventh day signifies what is most essential to know about God. God ceases from working in order to enjoy the company of the person that God has created. Suggesting that the seventh day speaks as much about the value of human beings to God as of God's valuation of human life. What lies in the foreground of the seventh day's first mention in the Bible is God's gift, not human obligation. So the Sabbath doesn't begin by God saying, here's what you better do. And if you don't, it's a sin. It begins by God communicating your value, his desire to commune with you, his love for you, not obligation. Exodus 20 is many moons down the road, and even that is not an obligation. The Ten Commandments were not written in the imperative. All right, then we get to Mark 2.27 again. Now we kind of pick this back up. That the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people the requirements of the Sabbath. Now what's one of the biggest needs that people have? To be fully known and fully loved. And at the very beginning of our creation, the first thing God gives us is family and quality time with Him. Do you see that? Face-to-face fellowship with God Himself. And I love this. So the Sabbath is is not introduced in Exodus 20 and God telling us what to do. The Sabbath commandment in Exodus 20 is a call to remember the Sabbath day. Well, what Sabbath day? The one that looks like what we just read here, Mark 27. It's a day that's meant to meet the needs of people. This should change your whole view of Exodus 28 through 11. When it says, remember the Sabbath day, what he's saying is, remember that I already love you. Stop working your guts out six days a week to prove to yourself, to your parents, and to me that you're worth something and someone should care about you. You're already loved. You're already accepted. You're already good enough. That's why I made you. Are you understanding? Such an important and beautiful lesson for us. He gave it to us to meet our needs. So to remember the Sabbath then is to remember that I love you, that I desire to have time with you, and that I desire your company. That's what he's talking about. Okay? Will there be another application of this that people will forget about the importance of the Sabbath? Yeah, but that's not the biggest point of this. We're so argumentatively wired that we miss the gospel in plain sight in our teachings. We're so worried about proving that we're right about what day it is that we really have no idea what the big point of the day is. This has happened to many of our own people. All we do is argue about when the Sabbath is, but we have never truly entered into the rest that Christ wants to give us and appreciated what's available to us on the Sabbath. And so we're so focused on what we can't do on the Sabbath. It is as if we hear God speaking, I am ceasing on the seventh day, Tonstad says, not only that you may acknowledge and love me, but in order to make it known that I recognize and love you. That God ceases to make it clear that he recognizes and loves you. And again, how does that make you feel? I want you to verbalize. It's important that you do this exercise. This isn't to make a preacher feel good. This is important for you to verbalize what you're thinking, what you're feeling, to cement in your own mind, this is good news. Like, how does this make you feel when you hear this picture of God in relation to the Sabbath and His desire to commune with you and to know you and to love you? Yes? The Sabbath was not arbitrarily created or put into existence. 
Yeah, the Sabbath wasn't arbitrarily created. So God's not an arbitrary God, right? Because we're asking, how does this make you feel about him? Okay, anyone else? Yes. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, it elevates my self-esteem. Okay. You are special. Guys, this is what you're supposed to feel like every seven days. You don't have to come to a camp meeting to experience this. Like literally every seven days should be your opportunity to remind yourself that I am loved. I am special. I am valuable. Someone wants me. And the very person I'm afraid of disappointing the most still wants to see my face, still wants to commune with me and love me and pour their life into me. That's literally what you're supposed to feel every seven days. So the entire purpose of the Sabbath is to give you a weekly reminder of this, that your life matters, that you have significance in this world, that you're the object of a divine love and unending love. And this is one of the reasons why I'm not a naturalist. Right? I am not, I'm, I made a whole bullet point list because it's a little, little cheeky about this. I am not some convenient biological mistake, some fluke of nature, the product of many fortunate circumstances for few, many unfortunate circumstances for most, with lots of death, deprivation, destruction, and disease that eventually leads to me having a life that doesn't matter at the end of the day. And I'll just return to fertilizer in the ground and no one will care. Does that sound like a life you want to live? Who wants to sign up for that? Anybody? No, deep down, none of us want that. There's nothing appealing about that. Every person at the very core of their being wants to be fully known and fully loved. We want our lives to matter, and atheists and naturalists want a life that matters and to be loved. It's not livable. It's not. You can't have both. You can't have love and significance and meaning in a universe where there is no meaning, everything is a convenient mistake, and it won't really matter at the end of the day. Right? This flies in the face of that. And we were actually told, in one place I believe in the spirit of prophecy, that had we continued in keeping the Sabbath, there would be no infidels. And had we understood the meaning of the Sabbath. So the Sabbath comes along and is a reminder that tells you that your life does have significance. You do matter. You are important. You are loved. You were handcrafted by a God of love. There is no one in this world like you. You're the only you available to God. And how you live your life matters. And only you can do what you do for the glory of God. That's what the Sabbath tells you. It communicates your intrinsic moral value, the significance of your existence, and the fact that you are special, needed, and wanted. The Seventh-day Sabbath teaches us this. So weekly, we're reminded of this. Why? Because we're so prone to forget it. And there's an accuser of the brethren who says that you don't matter, that you came from monkeys. And when it's all said and done, no one cares, and it's all a waste. So do you get yours, because that's all that you got. This is why we struggle with this. Go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to look at some of what Scripture says about what the Sabbath is a memorial of. Okay? Exodus chapter 20, and... Beginning in verse 8. And there's going to be a quiz, so I hope you're paying attention here. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8 says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. 
In it you shall do no work, nor you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now this is an open book quiz to your benefit. Why is it that God gave us the Sabbath according to the text? I don't want your words. I want what the text says. Why did he give us the Sabbath according to this text? I hate to make you think in church. I know that's such a sin. You're supposed to just stare at somebody, hear them say things, and then criticize them or or praise them afterwards. Go ahead. Verbalize it. Yes, sir. Yes, for in six days, God created the heavens and the earth. So the Sabbath then, we're to keep the Sabbath as a memorial of the fact that we did not create ourselves. Okay, that's why we keep Sabbath as a memorial of the fact that we did not create ourselves. But it's not just a memorial of creation at large. It's a memorial of your creation. It's a time for you to remember the fact that someone created me with a purpose in mind. That someone wanted me to be here. No matter what our life history may be, right? I've got a friend that he, he came into this world because of the means of sexual assault. His mother was violated and he came into the world. And yet, he now is a minister of the gospel. Does God choose for pain and hardship to come into this world? Absolutely not. But can God redeem that and still bring purpose out of that? Yes, God created every single one of you with a purpose, with value, and with intentionality. So it's not just a memorial of, your crea- or of creation, it's your creation. And it's an opportunity also to partake of the grandeur and the beauty of what God has done. Listen to this, Steps of Christ 87.1. The poet and the naturalist have many things to say about nature, but it's the Christian who enjoys the beauty of the earth with the highest appreciation. Because he recognizes his father's handiwork and perceives his love in flower and shrub and tree. No one can fully appreciate the significance of hill and vale, river and sea, who does not look upon them as an expression of God's love to man. Listen to this. This is Thoughts for the Man of Blessing. In the loveliness of the things of nature, you may learn more of the wisdom of God than the schoolmen know. On the lily's petals, God has written a special message for you, written in language that your heart can read only as it unlearns the lessons of distrust and selfishness. Did you hear that? Many times we can't appreciate the things of nature because we're so hurried and busy and self-focused. But if we were to slow down and look for lessons in God's second book of inspiration, we would see his message of love for us and corroding care, she says. Why has he given you the singing birds and the gentle blossoms, but from the overflowing love of a father's heart that would brighten and gladden your path of life? So the Sabbath and time in creation are meant to break, break that cycle and tendency of selfishness in our experience. She continues, All that was needed for existence would have been yours without flowers and birds. You could have lived in a monochrome, black and white world. You could have. But God was not content to provide what would suffice for mere existence, she says. 
He has filled earth and air and sky with glimpses of beauty to tell you of his loving thoughts for you. The beauty of all created things is but a gleam from the shining of his glory. And if he's lavished such infinite skill upon the things of nature for your happiness and joy, can you doubt that he will give you every needed blessing? Amen. So he didn't give us these things to ensure that we can give, to ensure that we can live. He gave them to us to remind us that we are loved. And so we would do well on Sabbath to spend time around those things to remind us that he loves us. To remember that we didn't create ourselves, we were made with a purpose by someone who loves us. And to surround ourselves with a creation that also brings pleasure and joy to us. Why? Because God loves me and he wants me to experience pleasure. Did you know that God wants you to experience pleasure? That he wired you with receptors for pleasure? Right? So this is what that can look like. So the Sabbath should be a day when we partake of the beauty of what God has made and to worship him as the creator. But it's also a day to worship him for the fact that he's your creator. That he made you with a purpose. So he made me. I'm not my own. I'm to slow down, pump the brakes, and take care of the body that God has given me. To not be so filled with the cares of this world that I forget the fact that I'm special and I'm the object of God's divine love. To not be so busy trying to prove myself to myself and my worth and my, all the world around me and to receive and rest in the worth I already have in Christ. Right? We are working so hard to prove to everybody, to God, to ourselves, to our parents, to the gym coach in high school who said I'd never accomplish anything in life. We're trying to prove to everyone that we're worth something. And God's saying, hey, knock off that foolishness. You're already worth something. And I want you to rest in that reality. That's why he commands us to cease on the Sabbath, because we're so inclined to try to work and work and work and work and work and prove, hey, did I do good enough? Do I need to work harder? You don't need to work to receive God's love. God's asking you to rest in his love. That's the purpose of the Sabbath, to remind you of this reality. And that the amazing God is longing to have time with me. Okay? So the Sabbath is a memorial of the fact that we did not create ourselves, but that's not the only thing it's a memorial of. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is another open book quiz, so please pay attention. Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Deuteronomy 5 and verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your midst, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Now I want to stop on this. This isn't part of the quiz. But I want to stop on this, that your male and female servant may rest as well as you. One of the things that the Sabbath brings to humanity is the dignity of rest and acknowledging their existence. This is super important. I hope you're catching this. The Sabbath is meant to provide humanity with the dignity of rest and acknowledging their existence. 
Which is why we are not to have people work for us on Sabbath. Right? This is why we don't let them work for us. Because they may work at, you know, John Q. Restaurant, and that's fine. And if they don't know anything about the Sabbath, they don't know anything about the Sabbath. Right? We can't stop them from working where they don't know any better. But we can stop them from working for us. Are you understanding? And when we make people work for us on Sabbath, we're treating them worse and with less dignity than God intended that we treat livestock. We're robbing them of their humanity. Because you can keep them from working for you. You can't keep them from working in all in total, right? They don't know any better. But you can keep them from working for you. God is concerned about them just as much as he's concerned about you. Just because you keep Sabbath doesn't mean you're any better than them. Are you understanding? He wants all people to be restored to the dignity and the acknowledgement of their existence that they deserve. All right, continuing. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Open book quiz. According to the text, why is it that God gave us the Sabbath in this text? That he freed us, right? That he's our deliverer, right? Specifically, I delivered you. I redeemed you from Egypt. Okay? It's a memorial of redemption. A memorial of redemption. That we can't save ourselves. Now, this flies in the face of any accusations towards us as Sabbath keepers of being legalists. Because we are not keeping Sabbath to be saved. We are keeping Sabbath as a memorial of the redemption that Jesus has already accomplished on our behalf. Amen? We love the gospel here in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We believe in righteousness by faith. We don't believe in righteousness by works. Paul alludes to the Egyptian bondage and that it's a type of our bondage to sin. So Deuteronomy's charge is to keep the Sabbath because we can't redeem ourselves. We can't save ourselves, so we can't create ourselves. We can't redeem ourselves. Sabbath rest is entering into true and complete rest in Christ. We're spending a day to acknowledge that, to enjoy that, and to reflect upon that. And we would do well to reflect upon these things and not just attend church. Because it is possible for us to show up to Sabbath and never do Sabbath as God intended. You know that, right? Just wearing the right clothes, showing up the right address at the right time between 9 a.m., you know, if you're one of the like 144,845 a.m. when the doors open, all the way until lunchtime, and maybe even you help to clean up after the meal is over, if you have meals at your churches yet, right? That, that's not what God is asking of you. God's not asking you to dress nice and show up to the right place and behave yourself for a few hours one day a week. God is asking you to come and worship Him as your Creator, worship Him as your Redeemer, and to reflect upon that, to, to rejoice in that. That's what God wants on the Sabbath. Don't get caught in this cultural... It's just like, it's like the train schedule. It's just... It just it's clockwork. You show up here, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. That's not what your Sabbath was meant to look like. That's never what God intended. He wanted you to have an experience of joy, of worship, of gratitude, an overflowing of a heart of thanksgiving for his goodness to you as your creator and your redeemer. Are you understanding? That's what Sabbath was meant to be. 
So it's a day to reflect upon the fact that we didn't create ourselves, we can't save ourselves, and in sharing this beautiful truth with people, to loose their burdens and to bring rest to their souls as well, that they may rest as well as you. Which brings me to John chapter 5 and verse 18. Remember Nathan Renner, one of the co-founders of the Arise program that I attended, and he also teaches at our program. He tells the story when he was a new Adventist. He didn't grow up in the Adventist church. Um, David Asherick was his best friend, and David eventually invested. Once David accepted the message, then he studied with Nathan, and Nathan accepted the message. And he was telling the story about he, soon after his conversion into the Adventist message, there was this guy who was walking across the United States of America carrying a cross. So there was a cross, and it had two wheels at the base of it, and the guy was just walking from coast to coast, carrying a cross as some form of you know, uh, increasing awareness about the awesomeness of Jesus. So Nathan says, hey, that's great, man. That's cool. What do you think about the Sabbath? Because he's a new Adventist, and the guy's like, the Sabbath? The Bible says that Jesus broke the Sabbath, and he says, no way. This Bible doesn't say that. It says, turn to John chapter 5 and verse 18. So he goes to John chapter 5 and verse 18, and after Jesus has healed the man at the pool of Bethesda on Sabbath, by the way, there were seven powerful miracles worked by Jesus on Sabbath in the Gospel of John. But he, he heals the guy on Sabbath. They're super mad about it. And so in verse 18, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. And Nathan was like, they didn't, they didn't tell me that one in the Bible study. I don't know what to do with this. Like the Bible says that Jesus broke the Sabbath. Now, is that really what's being said here? What do you think? You guys don't sound too convinced. I thought it was a heartland. You can... You can Open your mouths and protest heresy. It's okay. You should do that. No, it's not what it's saying. Yeah. He, he broke their version of the Sabbath. That's a good idea, huh? He broke their version of the Sabbath. Let's, let's build on that a little bit. So the word used for broke here is the word luo. And the interesting thing is there's only one other place. Actually, this is the only place where it's translated as broke in the New Testament. Everywhere else it's used as loose or untie. Which is very interesting. I don't think the translators knew what to do with this verse. Because they want to kill Jesus for loosing or untying the Sabbath. Like, that doesn't make any sense to them. But it makes a whole lot of sense to you, doesn't it? What Jesus was doing was loosing and freeing the Sabbath from the tyrannical restrictions that they had placed upon it. And this is super important for us because we can do that. We've got those cultural 39 Sabbath laws for some of us that aren't actually in the Bible, right? Everyone needs to make a decision based upon their conscience and their wrestling with Jesus over what their Sabbath observance will look like. Notice Jesus doesn't give a long codified list of all the things that are acceptable on Sabbath and all the things that are not acceptable on Sabbath. He gave us principles, and he wants us to make decisions in harmony with those principles following the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Jews didn't do that. They had 39 Sabbath laws. You spit on the ground, you're plowing soil. You walk too far, you're you're a heretic, right? All of this craziness. Jesus was setting the Sabbath free from the restrictions that the Jews had placed upon it. And it's so frustrating, because imagine, you see a man who's suffering on a Sabbath morning in a church service, and you know that it's within your power to set that man free. What better day to do this than on the seventh-day Sabbath? right, to loose this man of his burdens. And so Jesus goes and heals the man with the withered hand. And how is he responded to as a result of that decision? 
There are six days on which someone can be healed. Come on those days. Don't do this today. And I, I just, my heart grieves for Jesus. Because if you read the Gospels and you read Desire of Ages, you see this continual frustration in Jesus that you guys have missed the point. Time after time after time, in his interactions with the religious leaders, he just thinks to himself, guys, you have missed the entire point. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are they which testify of me. The Sabbath should be teaching something about my desire to liberate, heal, and loose the burdens of humanity. And so if the way in which we're presenting Sabbath sounds like bondage and it doesn't sound like liberation and healing, we're doing it wrong, guys. We're doing it wrong. This should be a day of joyous celebration, not a day of ceaseless restriction. Are you understanding? There are principles, and you individually need to wrestle with God over those principles and follow his personal con- the personal convictions he gives you on that. But to get in somebody else's business about what you think they should or shouldn't do on Sabbath and to live in this bondage of, uh, can, I, can I do this or can I? Uh, that is not what the Sabbath was meant to be. It's not a day of anxiety. It's meant to be a day of resting in the completed work of Jesus. And it's unfortunate that I have to say these things, but I do. Because I see the rat race that many of our people are going through unnecessarily. He never intended for us to carry these horrible, heavy burdens regarding the Sabbath. That's not what God wanted for you. It's a day to loose burdens. All right, go to Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12. Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12. One more memorial here. Be another open book test. It says this, Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12, Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So what is this saying the Sabbath is a memorial of? According to the text. God making us holy. God making us holy, right? So the Sabbath is a memorial of God's promise to transform us. Not a promise of God keeping, you know, God saying, you know what, I'll be here to hold you accountable if you aren't transformed. You noticing that? I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I am the one who's promised to do the work of transformation in your life. So the Sabbath is a sign that God is the one who's promised to transform us and set us free from the burden of sin. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I'm hallowed in you before their eyes. In short, the surrounding nations are going to know that I am God, when they see your life transformed by my grace, when you look like Jesus. So then he goes on to explain how he's going to take responsibility to ensure that those people overcome and are transformed through the rest of the chapter. We'll cover that tomorrow morning. So Sabbath is also a reminder to us to stop getting so anxious over whether I'll be good enough or be able to change. 
Did you hear me? Sabbath is a reminder to us to stop getting so anxious over whether I'll be good enough or be able to change. God is promising to empower us to overcome through the power of His Holy Spirit, and we should reflect upon that and rest in that. So Sabbathing is our act of protest against the lies of Satan and his ideology that man can save himself and that God is selfish. And we'll cover that in our next presentation. Okay, literally keeping Sabbath is an act of protest against the lies and the assaults of Satan upon the character of God and upon your own self-esteem and your assurance. Sabbathing is an act of protest of that. Now, nothing about this sounds like legalism, does it? waiting for the crickets to make a sound. Nothing about this sounds like legalism, does it? No, right? So we don't Sabbath to be saved. We Sabbath to rest in the fact that we are already saved and we're being transformed by His grace. We as Seventh-day Adventists need to stand up for the Sabbath in a way that preaches that we are not legalists. Instead of arguing against the other guys that our day is a better day and more honoring to God than their day is, Why don't we just preach the gospel to its fullest through the message of the Sabbath, and then they can't call you a legalist? One of the reasons why we get that charge, we have to take ownership of. If it sounds like all we're doing is preaching, as Ellen White quotes, the law, the law, the law, and not Christ, and we're preaching the law till we're as dry as the hills of Gilboa, if that's how we sound, We're not going to convince people that the law is beautiful, holy, righteous, just, and good, and that the Sabbath is a blessing. Does that make sense? So we may need to make sure that we're communicating the law and the Sabbath in the context of the beauty of the gospel. And when we do that, they can't charge you for being a legalist. You understanding? This is to our benefit and to God's benefit. Listen to this. This is from The Everlasting Covenant by E.J. Wagner. Keeping the Sabbath is not a duty to be discharged in order to obtain the favor of God, but the keeping of the faith by which righteousness is accounted to us. Don't you love that? E.J. Wagner, one of the great gospel preachers of the 1800s, he continues, There is no room for the objection that we ought not to keep the seventh-day Sabbath because we are not saved by works. For the Sabbath is not a work, it is a rest, God's rest. He that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his, Hebrews 4.10. True Sabbath keeping is not justification by works and is utterly disconnected from any idea of such a thing. It is, on the contrary, justification by faith. It is the absolute rest that comes from the perfect faith and the power of God to create a new man and to keep the soul from falling into sin. That's a beautiful, beautiful quote. But for many of us, busyness is a Sabbath killer. And Satan absolutely loves this. Right? We are so busy on Sabbath, doing the Lord's work, that we have no time to reflect upon God's goodness. We have no time to reflect upon God's creative grandeur. We have no opportunity or time to just talk with him face-to-face and enjoy him. Do you know how many missed calls we have on Sabbath from God himself? I'm busy. I can't talk right now. And it's a shame, beloved. 
Now, it is a day of loosing people's burdens. It is a wonderful way to keep Sabbath, to communicate the glories of God's creative power, His redemptive power, and His transforming power. That is a great blessing to give to people. But make sure that you don't neglect my friend Jesus while working for my friend Jesus. Some of us need to take off our Martha hat and learn how to sit still at the feet of Jesus. And for many of us, that's uncomfortable. We don't know how to sit still. We feel the most at peace of mind when we're running and and constantly occupying ourselves. We don't know how to sit still. We don't know how to be still and know that He is God. We only know how to work our guts out for God. And what a tragedy. Guys, you don't have to wait until heaven to enjoy face-to-face fellowship with Jesus and with the Father. You can begin to enjoy that in the here and now. And I would encourage you to like make a Sabbath calendar if you have to, not in a legalistic fashion of plotting out every point of your day and repenting and gnashing with teeth, you know, whenever you don't quite hit the mark on your schedule. But like think through what is my Sabbath going to look like and what's Sabbath supposed to be? Because we're so prone to forget. You know how many times I've preached this message and still forget to do this? Because it's just not part of what we have culturally designed ourselves to do. But that's the problem. Culturally, we're flying in the face of what the Bible was meant to tell us and has been trying to tell us for the Sabbath. It goes against the way that we have been doing Sabbath, and so we have to kind of work through that. We're not being heretics per se, but we're certainly not enjoying the bounties of blessings that the Sabbath has to offer us. Do you understand the difference? So write down on a Friday, what do I want to do on this Sabbath to celebrate God's creative work in my life? What do I want to do on this Sabbath to celebrate God's redemptive work in my life? What do I want to do on this Sabbath to celebrate God's transforming work in my life And how can I give someone else that blessing in some form or fashion? And if we came into a church on the Sabbath morning with that type of mentality, I think real worship would be be heard in our song service. We would have song leaders saying, guys, please sing. People would actually be singing with all of their hearts. People would be giving praise and glorious reports of God's goodness. Instead of a bunch of prayer requests, it sounds like the devil's on the throne and God is not. We would be reflecting upon God's goodness. We would be chomping at the bit. Please, someone ask me how good God has been to me because I want to testify. We have become cold and frozen and institutionalized. If you watch the Jewish people celebrate the Sabbath, they celebrate the Sabbath. We're kind of afraid to get a little too excited. I don't want to look too weird. I don't want people to think I'm too, you know, hopped up on that that Jesus juice. Like, guys, it's okay to get excited about the gospel. It's okay for that. And I think Jesus would delight in that. Because to have a very stale, tepid thank you card out of obligation that we give Jesus every Sabbath. You know those little stock ones that say thank you and we just sign our name, we don't really say anything. We're not really thankful, we're just giving the card because we probably should say something nice. For many of us, that's what Sabbath observance looks like. It's a tepid thank you card that we put no thought into. And we have no idea what true worship really is. Because we're afraid to express ourselves. I'm not saying you need to swing from the chandeliers and stuff, but like, it's okay to be happy and joyful 
and to celebrate the goodness of God on the Sabbath. Amen? It's okay for that. All right. So let me go into one last segment. I did not put this into my slides, so I apologize to you. They will not be visible. Um, and so I'll just turn that to a black screen there, and they can just show you the little thing. Um, but I want to do something else real quick about the Sabbath. It's been a real blessing, and it's been really helpful for me. So I hope this can be helpful for you. Just a brief little study notes here, okay? And as this is hopefully loading quickly, we'll work through that. But has this made sense so far? Okay, the, the, the purpose and the intention behind the Sabbath, it's a memorial of God's creative work, it's a memorial of God's redemptive work, and it's a memorial of God's ability to transform His people by His grace. All right. We literally have the lack of internet productivity here. Well... That happens sometimes. Uh, I'm going to go ahead, I guess, and just pray. Um, This is the main point I wanted to cover, but I thought I've got some extra real estate. I'll do it, but if I can get my files to work, then I'm not going to waste your time in making me do this here. So we'll just go ahead and pray and close. Let's pray. God in heaven, I thank you that you've given us a big picture of what the Sabbath was meant to be for humanity, what a blessing it's meant to be for us. And I pray, O God, that you would just help us to better prepare ourselves for Sabbath. Many of us have viewed Sabbath preparations as making sure our shirts are ironed and that our food is cooked. But what about preparing to come into your presence and to really think about how I can share how much I appreciate what you've done for me? over the course of this last week and and the fruit of your plan of redemption in my life, the ways that you're changing me and growing me and transforming me. And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just guide us and how to better enter into the fullness of the Sabbath experience that you intended for us. And so we give you permission to speak to us, to guide us, each individually and what that's to look like. God, I pray that this campus would be filled with praise and worship this evening and tomorrow through your holy Sabbath hours, reflecting upon what you've done for us. I pray that you would forgive us for misunderstanding and largely missing the point many times on the Sabbath. We're so focused on what not to do that we forget who wants to have time with us. So Lord, help us to enter into that, to give you what you're longing for. Uh, I'm so sorry that many times your Sabbaths have not been as full as you would wish because we've been unavailable. We've been too busy. So God, forgive us. Cover our sins with the blood of Jesus. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.